Live Life Podcast with your host, Des Oots. So excited that you came with us on this journey today. This is our third installment of the Life Podcast. We are extremely excited to have one of my favorite guests on here. He is a guy that I look up to. He is someone that has a wallop of a testimony. He is a great gift to the kingdom of God. He's actually the first person I met at my new church, First Baptist Church of Marlboro, and his name is Mike Whitaker. We are so um, grateful to have him here to share his testimony um, of God's kindness, patience, and meekness with him and how much he loves him. So I'm excited for that opportunity. Here on Life, we talk about sports, we talk about culture, we talk about faith, we talk about family, and a host of other things that communicate life to our listeners and hope to encourage you and give you hope for your very, very hard days. So with that being said, we always start with a life point. And our life point today is coming from 1 Timothy um, chapter 1, verse, verses 15 through 16. It says, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I'm the worst of them. But I receive mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience and his example to those who believe in him for eternal life. I think this is a good intro into our great um, podcast that we're going to have today. Um, Life stands for living intentionally for eternity. I know y'all hear me say it every single week, but you need to be reminded of it every single week. Um, Living intentionally for eternity. Here at Life, we believe that life doesn't start until we get eternity settled. And once eternity is settled, life truly begins. So without further ado, let's welcome in Mike Whitaker. How you doing, my friend? Doing very well. Thanks for having me. I'm very, uh, very humbled and uh, honored to be here with you today. Amen, amen, amen. So, Mike, you have an interesting testimony that I cannot wait for all of my listeners to hear. I'm, I'm geeked up, y'all. I'm like smiling and I'm, I'm excited because his testimony is like fire in my bones sometimes. Helps me just think clearly about the gospel and the redeeming work that Christ has done in all of us who have trusted in him for life through faith and grace. So I'm excited. So to kind of kick it off, Mike, tell me about um, how you came to Christ briefly. I don't have to be too long, but what's your testimony? When did did you realize you needed um, Christ's life for for salvation? That's a great question. I started life as a Catholic, uh, early childhood, uh, up until I was about 13, made it through my first Holy Communion. My mom then uh, allowed us to kind of decide what we wanted to do, and I left the Catholic faith and began to attend a local church in our in our community, just kind of a community church, uh, a Moravian church. And I attended that church, and uh, I was very moral, morally quote unquote good uh, mm. compared to world standards. But I don't believe at this point I knew Christ. Mm. I went off to college, uh, met my wife, and uh, had a child. Started life, working, husband, that sort of thing. Um, went far, 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 far away from church. Ended up in jail uh, with a drinking problem. And there is where I discovered uh, Christ 
in his fullness and in the real way. That's where my life turned around. And um, I saw very, very clearly, the, the scripture you read is, is perfect for today <laughs> because uh, being the worst of, of sinners, at least in my mind, uh, he graciously brought me out of that situation, brought me here to First Baptist Church of Upper Marlboro, uh, provided a job for me here at First Baptist Church of Upper Marlboro, <laughs> put my family back together. I had been gone for 20 years. And uh, I sit here today talking to you, just amazed on a daily basis at what the Lord can do and has done for me and anyone who calls on his name. Mm. Beautiful, my brother. Beautiful. So in your testimony, you kind of summed up what we're going to be talking about, the progression of your life from um, success, highly successful in the corporate world, world. Um, and then you kind of find yourself in jail, in the dungeon, and then you see that then I think humility takes place and God starts to reorient, to your, reorient your life, change your perspective about life, and uh, now you live for his glory. So can you tell me about your rise in the corporate world? What, what was going on during that time? How did you feel? All those things. Sure. I was a very confident young man. Uh, I wasn't cocky, but I was, I was confident in my skills. And every job I had, uh, I, I rose uh, quickly. Uh, I started working at a bank in my early 20s. And by 27, I was an assistant vice president of the bank. Mm. Uh, that bank was shut down. And so I moved over to this little company that I'd never heard of called America Online. Started out there answering phone calls just in a call center. And uh, once again, uh, I rose quickly through the ranks uh, of uh, what then became AOL and became director of um, security, uh, security administration. So in my, in my responsibilities were all 10,000 employees. Uh, I was responsible for the security of their accounts, as well as uh, direct support for member services who supported all of the several million uh, members, members that we had. So in doing that, um, not only was I financially successful, I was traveling around the world, uh, training people on vacations. Uh, I essentially could do anything I wanted to do from a monetary standpoint. I could buy or have anything I wanted to have. During this time, I also had two other children, so I had a total of three. Mm -hmm. But I had left my wife, I had left my family uh, right before I started at AOL. So I was living on my own, um, very successful uh, in the corporate world. And uh, that is where I began to celebrate myself with alcohol. Mm -hmm. That was a very, very, very long trip to jail, approximately 20 years. But that's, that's where things started. Oh. So what was it about the success that was such a... Um drug in some senses like wh why do you feel as though selfishness rose so much within you once you really start to see the monetary outcome of your success we at AOL we we worked very 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 hard especially in the early days when nobody knew who we were so 16 17 hour days were normal so we quickly adopted the motto I quickly adopted the motto of work hard play hard okay so after a nice long day of working 14, 15, 16, 17 hours, I, quote unquote, I deserved 
a nice dinner and I deserved a beer or a glass of wine. Mm. And that's kind of how that started. Now, of course, that um, increased over time. It wasn't a beer or a glass of wine. Uh, then we moved to hard liquor. Mm. Then there became reasons to celebrate. You know, we, we'd launch something online, and so we'd celebrate that. And we'd, we'd, uh, we'd reach some milestone, and we'd celebrate that. Mm. I had friends that uh, became very close, and we all kind of hung out together as a group, and we all did the same thing, which was uh, we, we had a lot of money, mm. so we would go somewhere, and we would just buy food and drink. And um, that's how the habit kind of started, that, that feeling of we could do anything mm-hmm. we wanted to do. Uh, there was a time, <laughs> there was one time, uh, we, a bunch of us, about 17 people took a trip to uh, Jamaica. Mm. We actually considered renting a plane. We didn't want to go commercial. So that's what I mean when I say we were we were well off. <laughs> that was kind of the mindset. It wasn't just we had you know a little bit of money. Mm. The mindset was, hey, you know what? We 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 don't need to fly commercial. We should just rent a plane. Wow. So that that I I, I don't tell I only tell that story to kind of give you the level set of that's where I'm talking about. Amen. It's not good money. Mm-hmm. This, this was money that I didn't ever imagined that mm. I would have, and. Yeah, I can see now why. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that 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 feeling of we could I could do anything I wanted to do whenever I wanted to do. That's kind of where that came from. Amen. Um, can you? So at this time, you you're separated from your wife and your children. Yes. Correct. Um, Paul instructs in Corinthians that bad company corrupts good morals. Can you testify to that based on what you're saying, like especially hearing about your friends and hearing how they were kind of influence you on you? Were their marriages kind of on the hinge? How did y'all view marriage? Was it easy to leave your wife? I know that's a lot of questions, but sure. you can answer it however you want. Uh, for, I'll, I'll take the, the last one first. Okay. It was not easy uh, to leave my wife and my children. Uh, things were, were so bad in the marriage, communication between my wife and I, I had convinced myself that even though it was hard, it, I knew it was going to be hard on her. I knew it was going to be hard on the children, and I was not pleased with that. But in my mind, staying was going to be worse. Mm. So I had convinced myself that leaving, although hard, was the best of the two tough choices. Mm. So uh, that was not easy. Um, in reference to company, bad company, uh, yes, although I, I will, I will preface this with all decisions were made by myself. Amen. I was the one who decided to do this, that, and the other. However, it was easier hanging out with the folks that I hung out with. Most of them were single. Okay. And as I think about it, in in our group, our little group, I don't. There may have been one couple that was married. Okay. Everybody was single. Everybody was young. <laughs> excuse me, between 25 and 35, mm. and uh, single. Um, moralistically, the group I hung out with was anything goes. Yep. Uh, when it came to relationships, physical relationships, anything goes. Mm. Just depends on what was happening that night. So, yes, I, I can attest to the... Word of God, yeah, that is absolutely true. <laughs> it was easier for me, though, but I, I do want to, to, to make the point again 
that uh, I was never coerced into anything, and I was it was it wasn't a situation like um, uh, a, 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 a frat, yeah, where people are like, "Come on, Mike, do it, do it, do yeah. it." Didn't I didn't need a whole lot of uh, incentive? <laughs> I'll put it to you that way. I was just kind of running with the crowd. Amen. Amen. Good. Good. So, Mr. Mike, uh, next question I want to talk about is. What happens now you're in AOL, you're making buku money, mm-hmm. something else is taking place that's ultimately going to lead to you getting in trouble with the law mm-hmm. and the courts. What's happening during that, during that time? So you're at AOL, you're successful, but now hard liquor comes in. What's, yes. what's happening with that? Essentially, the level of drinking just began to ratchet up. Okay. Uh, and, and again, this is a slow build over time, so I didn't even really notice it. But like any other drug or any other form of entertainment that we do, once we get used to a certain level, it's not enough. So getting drunk at one point was fine. Mm -hmm. Then just getting drunk wasn't enough. Mm -hmm. It had to be knockout drunk. And then, you know, that level would go up. So then shots began to enter into the picture. Um, So essentially it, it just went... Uh, further and further and further and then I begin to drive um, home from from these places and the more I drove and, and made it home safely and then told a story the next day about not remembering getting home you know we'd all laugh about it mm. that's you know that's crazy I can't believe you did that and I'm glad you made it home safe so the next time that opportunity came there's really no question mm. about whether I would do it or not because it was obviously going to be okay. Yeah, I, sh- I got arrested one time for uh, drinking and driving and uh, I spent a night uh, in the drunk tank just kind of sobering up. But that was it. I got a fine, but it was a slap on the wrist. Uh, that was almost like a badge. Not that everybody was seeking to be arrested, but it was like, eh. Yep. It, it was meant to be a, hey, come on now, watch yourself, but it wasn't. It was, it, was, it was kind of a badge of honor. And so the drinking continued and the increase in drinking continued. And with that became other, came other um, activities, yeah. the things that go along with drinking. So yeah. there were women uh, that came and went. And the activities with those women uh, were not uh, wholesome yeah. activities. <laughs> and it, it's, yeah. it, it, things just ratcheted. It just kept going. Mm. Just kept going. Nothing could stop me. I was in my devotion this morning. I was reading this, um, and I think it'll it'll make sense once I start reading it. Um, This is Romans 6. It says, and having been free from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. He says, I'm using a human analogy because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you offer the parts of yourself as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater lawlessness, Mm So now offer them as slaves to righteousness, which results in sanctification. It says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free from your free regard to righteousness with regards to righteousness. So what fruit was produced then from the things you are now ashamed of? The outcome of those things is death. Amen. And I was just thinking about what you were saying, and you was talking about this increase of lawlessness. Yes. One thing led to another thing, and another thing led to another thing, and another thing led to another thing. Shylin, who comes sometimes preaches at our church, in one of his songs, he says, "None of us sin in moderation." That's good. <laughs> we don't. We don't. We don't take a hint of sin. We drink it. We gurgle it down. Yes. 
And I just, just to hear what you were saying, that's all I was thinking about. I was reading that in my devotion this morning. I just wanted to bring that out. The intensity Mm -hmm. and the veracity of our sin. Mm -hmm. If you go back to Genesis, God is about to wipe out the world because it said every thought of the human mind was continually on wickedness. So as you was talking, I was just thinking about the spirit just helped me, helped me think about that reality, Mm -hmm. what you was talking about. Okay. And that's true. Yeah, so I thought I thought that was really really good, kind of hearing your testimony. So now, so you you got arrested for the first time, mm-hmm. and it was a slap on the wrist. Were you scared? Like, were you nervous when you got arrested? No, because at that that arrest, I, I was so I don't even I, I didn't remember it. Oh, okay. So when I woke <laughs> up in jail, like I, I you know I went through it. Yeah. But being in that state. There really is, because fear comes from, you, you know, you, you, you kind of need to be sober. Yeah, you do. To understand what's in front of you. I didn't even really understand. I just was processed. And uh, when I came to be, um, you know, as soon as I, I, I was able to prove that I was sober, they let me go. I had no idea where my vehicle was because, mm. you know, I, that, that had been towed. So I called uh, a friend who I didn't hang out with. This was a, this was a married guy. I called him and uh, asked him to come get me. Once I, I had to figure out where I was. I didn't even know where I was. I knew I had been in jail, but I didn't know where. Right. Um, but so, no, I, at that point, I wasn't scared. And then I wasn't that concerned because I had enough money. I hired an attorney, told him the story. And he said, okay, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to have to attend some classes and, you know, it'll all be fine. So, I, you know, I just kind of went on about my business. Like, okay, <laughs> I'll do these classes and... Uh, uh, see, th- this is this is what the the other thing. I, I love that quote that we just read. But the other thing about sin is, um, especially in, in addiction, it's not that I need to quit drinking. I just need to be smarter next time. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, next time means I am going to get drunk again. <laughs> yes. I just need to be smarter about a whether I'm driving or be more pay more attention to who's around if I when I am driving. Yeah, that was kind of the mindset. Mm-hmm. Not you need to stop. You just need to do it better, <laughs> which is like now I look, that's crazy. But at the time, that was my mindset. Hey, man. Um, one time as I was reading through Ecclesiastes, um, it talks about how man was created upright and moral. Um, but I think sin automatically turned our heads downward. Yeah. It's amazing the extent we'll go before we turn up or before before God activates our faith to look up to him. Mm-hmm. I love the I love. The phrase in Genesis says, at that time, people could begin to call on the name of the Lord. Amen. Um, where God is activating and starting something new in people and causing them to call out to him. So that's another thing, Brian. Your testimony just brings so much to my mind. Yeah. So it's a, it's amazing. That, that's true because I, I think <laughs> back on it now. And what scares me now, and I tell this story all the time in Celebrate Recovery, is I went, I don't know how many years, I don't know how many days, but there were thousands of days in a row that I lived and not once did the thought of God come to my mind. And that today, that scares me to death. And it also makes me realize how gracious the Lord is because he was holding me that entire time as I was spitting in his face, he's holding me up. And the story I tell in Celebrate Recovery is it's, it's, I think of it as like me walking across the Grand Canyon on a tightrope with no net underneath of me. But I'm so confident in my ability to walk. I'm just walking. Mm. I'm not even being careful. I'm just walking across. And see, I'm making it. So obviously that's all me. 
But underneath of me is this in, in, uh, invisible hand, yeah. the hand of God holding me up. So when I teeter, he just puts me right. But I think it's me. Mm. But that's how I think of those years. I'm just walking across this chasm where I could die any moment, but I never, never even considered that mm. and never considered God. That scares me to death mm. when I think about it now. But that, that, that shows his greatness and his patience and his loving kindness that you know, wow. while while we were yet sinners, yeah. you know, he he saved us. Yeah. He sustained me all that time, mm. knowing what was coming, but I didn't. I had, <laughs> I had no thought of him. Yeah. I can't, I, today, I can't imagine that today right. where he runs through my mind hundreds <laughs> of times a day, but literally, I went thousands of days without a thought of God one mm. time. Thousands. <sighs> Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Amen. Man, that song makes so much more sense. And as we look back on in the eternity of our mind, yes. just when we when we are pursuing that sinful desires, those deceitful desires, Ephesians says, we just don't care about anyone mm-hmm. or anything but that desire. Right. I've been there. Probably not as long as you, but it's a long enough right. for me to see just I mean it's sorry to say. Um, and it is very sorrowful to say, even as a Christian, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you don't get over that once you become a Christian. No. You know, um, my uncle told me this, but I think he got it. My uncle says this to me all the time. He said, Des, when, um, when sinners sin against God, they're sinning against his law. Mm-hmm. When Christians mm-hmm. sin, as, sin against God, we're sinning against his love. Yeah. And you made a good point uh, about desires. James talks about that when he says each person is tempted uh, when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Mm. It's, it's not, and that's why I wanted to make the point earlier. Yes, bad company is, is that, that helps, helps me. But it was me. It was my own desires Amen. that I, I, I couldn't name them. I couldn't have woke up one day and said, oh, I, I desire to get drunk. Well, there's some days I did. <laughs> I said that. But you know what I mean? That wasn't, yeah. that desire was in there, but it's way down deep. Like mm. you, it's hard to even identify. Until the Lord opens your eyes to show you this is who you are. Yeah. And, and that's a scary picture. It is. Without yeah. him. Without him. Ephesians 2 clearly talks about we were dead in our trespasses and mm-hmm. sin. That's why you didn't think about him for those thousand mm-hmm. years because you was dead towards him. Yeah. Nothing matters. Zombie. He's a zombie. Yeah, walking dead, right? Yeah. So it makes a lot of sense. The Bible is just so true when it comes to that. <laughs> it's just amazing how it's just coming off right now, but it's. All right, let's push the story along. Yeah. Okay. You're still not in jail yet. You right. get a slap on the wrist. So let's fast forward a little bit. Mm-hmm. When did when did the real jail time yeah. come? This this was an amazing year. This was 2009. Okay. Uh, actually, I'll back up to a little bit. Uh, December 2008, uh, I was arrested uh, for the second time uh, for drunk driving. That, that case went to trial in May of 2009. So I went, uh, spent 10 days in jail in May of 2009. In September of 2009, four months after I got out of jail, I was arrested yet again for the third time. And where I lived at the time, three times in 10 years is an automatic felony. Mm. That's when jail hit. But as I think about that now, from December 2008 to September 2009, Arrested twice uh, and sent to jail twice. 
Mm. And they denied me bail when I went to jail. After the third arrest, when I went in, again, I really wasn't that concerned. Yeah. I, got, I had an attorney. You know, what, what, what's this all about? Let me get bailed out so I can go, you know, about my business. Yeah. And the judge denied me bail. That I think that is actually the beginning of me waking up. I believe, as I think back on it now, I think that was the that that's where my head got snapped back. Oh, this is serious. Wow. I was so dangerous to society. He said, "No, we, we don't. We're not letting you out." Now he did. They did eventually. My lawyer came back and said, "Well, what if he goes to rehab?" And, and I, I can get into that story if you want. Or I can wait to ask him questions. But they let me out. But I was taken directly to. I wasn't allowed to go to rehab on my own. I was taken to rehab. Mm. So it was either in jail or in this place. Okay. So you you went to rehab. I did go to rehab. Yeah. So how long did that last? That was a that was one of those thirty day programs. Thirty day program. Mm-hmm. And then what happened? Then uh, then I was allowed to go home since I went through rehab successfully. Okay. I was allowed to go home, but I was wearing a. Uh, a lot of people may be aware of the the ankle bracelets that you that uh, home incarceration. Mm-hmm. Well, they didn't. I wasn't on home incarceration, but I had an alcohol ankle bracelet. Okay. So if they were, if I drank any alcohol, uh, it would go off. Okay. So I had to watch uh, what I ate. And, you know, I couldn't eat anything with like wine sauce. Uh, I had to my mouthwash. I had to be. I couldn't use mouthwash with alcohol. I found out how much alcohol exists yeah. in the world. <laughs> Because alcohol's in everything. I have to be careful with toothpaste. Yeah. I mean, I don't wear um, smellies. Yeah. But I, if I did, I would have had to cut that out because <laughs> this thing would take a, a, a pulse of your, your sweat. Oh, yeah. Every yeah. 20 minutes. Mm. So there was no there was no playing around with this thing. Yeah. So I went, I got home because I had I still haven't been to trial. Yeah. Um, this was in October. I got home in early November, late October, early November, and the trial didn't happen until May. Wow. So I stayed home and, and uh, wore this, uh, tried to get a job uh, until May. So you lost you lost the AOL job? Well, at that point, I, I had lost the AOL job uh, back in 2007. Okay. Um, and I was I had my own business at this point. Uh, I was working with a couple buddies from, from AOL. We had a consulting business. Okay. We had ju- when I was arrested in September, we had just signed a seven-figure deal. Oh, my goodness. We were, we were getting ready to take off. And uh, I lost that. So I was a partner in this. It was the three of us. So I, I lost that uh, company. They they continued on. Um, so I I I, did, I was able to get a job while I was waiting for trial as a consultant doing some some other things. Okay. Uh, so I was able to support myself um, until I didn't know when when I went to court several times. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't know when we were going to actually settle this thing. Wow. So, yeah. All right. So <laughs> it's amazing. You said something as far as just the restrictions, restrictions that you had. Mm-hmm. And all I can think about is how sin promises freedom, but mm-hmm. always leaves you in chains. You physically experienced that. <laughs> you, I hadn't thought of that. You right. physically experienced that reality that, you know, it it is so deceiving. Yes. We, we think we have control. Mm-hmm. We were really so out of control. Yeah. And the only thing holding you together is the gracious, loving tenderness of God, who Absolutely. knew you before the foundation of the world. Yes. Knew every decision you was going to make, knew how far you would go. If Ephesians is true, knew and if Proverbs is true, he knew he looks at mankind's the course of mankind's life, he knows which way yep. they're gonna go, and he still, you know, annals of time sent his son. 
to die for you before you even knew it. Before right? While we were, you quoted earlier, while we were still sinners, Christ died yes. for his people. Okay. All right. So you go to jail. So trial comes around in May. Yep. Is that when you're sentenced to the hard sentence? No. That's, okay. That's, uh, that's funny. We So I was arraigned, which is when you stand up and, and the judge says uh, the state of X is is uh, versus Michael Whitaker. Mm. That that also that was number two. Wait, kind of wake me up. Like wow, I'm it's me against the state. Yeah, <laughs> I hadn't really thought of this. Um, so when the judge when I, I pled guilty, mm-hmm. and the judge uh, asked me if I was ready to go, if I was ready to start, and I said yes, yes, Your Honor, I'm ready. So he says, Why don't you go ahead and get started? You've got a, at a minimum, you got 90 days. So why don't you go ahead and get started, and I'll see you back here in 90 days, and we'll sentence you at that point. So I went into jail with no sentence. I didn't know what I was facing. How was that? That was, I'm not, I, don't, I don't have the English word to describe <laughs> that. That was surreal because I didn't know. I, go ahead and get started. I'll see you in, in three months. Then we'll decide what your sentence is going to be. So in my mind, that the, in three months was when the sentence was, was going to start. Like I was going to get more. Yeah, that's that's what I was thinking. So I, yeah, that was surreal. I, I will never forget walking forward in the courtroom toward the back when everybody else was going back to the world. So you know, in the courtroom, if you're going forward toward where the judge is, you're going behind the walls. Yeah, into the world of incarceration. Everybody else in the courtroom goes the other way, back home, back to wherever they're going, back to the world. I went into the world. Of, and when that door closed, I was in another world. It's almost like walking through a, a time warp because cuffs are on. You immediately have no decision that you can make on your own. You have zero freedom. Everything is taken from you. You're stripped, searched. Um, you have nothing. You're at the beck and call of of the guards. You're a property of the state. You're a property of the state, and they let you know that, Mr. Mike. That is. Was that the first time you felt out of control? Yes. Even though I had been before, I had always known. You, you know, you have ten days, so you know, going in. This, this, this is when I started to feel. I, I out of control. I didn't know what was going on, I, and I and I couldn't fix it. I couldn't pay my way out of it. Couldn't buy my way out of it, and I didn't even have anything to to look at to deal with. Mm. I had thirty day. I had ninety days to look at, but I didn't even know what was at the end of that. So yeah, I, I was completely uh, in shock at this point. Okay. Wow. Okay. <laughs> You're in jail for 90 days. Yes. What is the dominating thought in your mind? Walk us through briefly, mm-hmm. summarize those first 90 days in jail. This is where um, the Lord really made a presence on me. Because the, the, when I think back on it, the dominating thought was everything's going to be okay. But the difference is it wasn't going to be okay because of something I was going to do or something I was going to buy. I didn't understand feeling that way. Now, one of the first things that I requested when I when I was processed and, and, and uh, put into got into to um, into jail was I requested a Bible. Okay, I hadn't looked or read one in years, but I requested a Bible and just started reading. 
Uh, I didn't open the Genesis. I just kind of opened it and I just started reading. Yeah, Russian and, roulette. And I'm, yeah. I was like, hey, you know, I got time. <laughs> so I just started reading. But, it, but a calm came over me and the feeling that this was going to be okay. Mm. But, and I can't explain what that means or why I felt that way because I, I still had no answers. I didn't know what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just felt that I just integrated myself into the daily routine of jail, and it is it is a daily routine. If the things the same thing happens every single day, Monday through Sunday, it doesn't. Weekends there are no weekends, there are no weekdays. It's just a day. Wow. There's 24 hours in that day, and every day at this time you wake up. Every day at this time you eat. Every day at this time you take a shower. Every, I mean, the same thing happens every Groundhog Day, every day. There is no difference. Wow. The only way you know the difference is if you have a paper or, you know, you can look at the date or something. Uh, but time and, and space end in jail. There's, there, there is no time. <laughs> There's, that's all you have and you don't have it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Wow. All right. You go back to sentences. What happens? Okay. What, what happens when you go back to get your sentence? So I go back. I get the sentence. Uh, the judge reads a sentence of, I, I am given a sentence of four years. mm and three and a half suspended. So, uh, and time served. So I am essentially due six months. I had already done three. So, and I'm doing fast calculations in my head yeah. while I'm standing there because one of, the, one of the other things about jail is what, what, you know, you make friends in there or you make acquaintances and the people that are in there, they teach you about okay. the system. All right. So by the time I got to court, like I was pretty well versed in the system. So I'm doing <laughs> mathematical calculations in my head. And I said, okay, I got another three months to do. Um, so what I did was uh, when I went back, when I got back to my cell, I immediately applied for uh, something they call workforce, okay. which is kind of like, um, it's not work release, okay. where you go and get a job in town mm-hmm. for the day and you come back. Workforce is those guys you see on the side of the highway, okay, picking up trash and things yeah. like that. So you're, you're essentially free labor for the, the county. Yeah. Which is fine for me. But I, you know, I applied for that and I was accepted into that program. And uh, that, uh, instead of getting paid, since I had paid off all my fines, I didn't need money. Um, I chose to have payment as uh, time reduced off of my sentence. Okay. So what I ended up serving in the end, five months. Okay. Five months. Five months. Okay. So I got to ask, mm-hmm. I have to ask, what is prison like? Oh, man. <laughs> what was it like in those it's, those five months, sir? It's it's surreal is the best word I have. Um, when I first entered, what what they do at least where I was, when you first go in, you are immediately given a TB shot and you're put into isolation for forty eight hours. So I was in a cell that was about as large as see I could stretch my arms out and touch the walls, so that's about six feet wide, and it was about. Uh, 10 feet long and there was a it was one bed in there really tiny bed on the side of the wall and then I had about enough room to stand next to the bed and kind of look out the small window in the door and then behind me was the toilet but they put another guy in there with me so there's two of us in this room with one bed 6 by 10 and we were in there for 48 hours so I ended up sleeping on the floor under the bed because number one the lights never go out in jail so it never, it's never dark, and it's cold. They keep it at 55 degrees all the time. Wow. Yeah. And, and for those of you who don't think that's cold, try turning your house down to 55 degrees. Yeah, that's cold. Like all day, every day. Ooh. It's, it's cold. 
And uh, so then when, when you get into population, there is a daily routine. You know, we, where, where I was sent, uh, we were awakened at 5 a.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were served breakfast. Uh, we, we, were, we had to eat in the, in the cell. So we'd go out, pick up the tray, go back to the cell. They'd lock us in. We'd eat. They'd pop the doors. And that, that pop is a sound I'll never forget. Mm. Popping of the door. Pop. That means the door's open or locked. Either one. Yeah. Uh, we'd eat. <clears throat> and then you'd, you'd have time out in the day room. We were essentially locked down 17 and a half hours a day in the room, in the cell. And we were out. Uh, at different times during the day, but totally we were out about five, five and a half hours uh, during that time. And the shower, I, I strategically picked my shower time for like <laughs> one o'clock. And you can take a shower anytime you want it. Okay. I took my shower at one o'clock because that kind of gave me, uh, that was like half of the day. Okay. So I was cold all morning, but I took my shower and then I was probably good for like two or three hours after okay. that before I started to get cold again. Okay. So I, you know, I, my shower was like one o'clock right after lunch. <laughs> <laughs> right. But there's nothing to do. I mean, we I didn't do anything, but I just played, read, read the Bible and played Sudoku. That's it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> now, 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 the guys that were in there with me, for some reason, I'll never get over this, they wanted to watch cops. <laughs> and I'm, I, I sat there and thought, we are in jail and you guys are watching a show about people going to jail. <laughs> I didn't watch, but I, I I couldn't get over that. Oh my goodness! That is that is. How was it um, adapting to this roommate that you had? He, he you know, it, the, the the main one I had was he was okay, other than the fact that uh, what what worried me was one of the things you do when you get in is everybody says what you're in for. Okay, that's like the first question. What are you in for? <laughs> I'm in for this. I'm in for that. He would never say. And that always worried me because he <laughs> never told me, he never told the group, and he never told me what he was in for. And you know, there is a code in jail. Okay. Yeah. So there are certain things that you, if you do, uh, that's not even accepted in jail. What are those? Those are things like child molestation. Okay. Um, certain types of rape. Mm-hmm. Those things, even, even amongst thieves and criminals <laughs> they got morals <laughs> there's some level <laughs> yeah. that just that and i was not in um i was not in with the i was not in with the murderers oh, okay uh, I, I, there's there's kind of yeah there's some levels you know they trying to place you where they try to keep you as safe as possible okay so i was in with a bunch of drug addicts you know alcoholics okay. there was a guy in there with us who did kill somebody but it was in self-defense okay. so he literally was a murderer but he wasn't hardcore like okay yeah man so we weren't in with those guys but this guy, he would he would never say, and he never did say. So that worried me a little bit. He never we we, we got along fine. Okay. Um, but he never did say that. That kind of bothered me mm. a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so you you, um, where's your relationship with God? Is you're reading the Bible? I'm reading the Bible. So your God consciousness is growing. Yes. What is he doing in your heart during this time? At, during this time, he really, uh, I, I don't mean to use the word only, but I can't think of another word, but he, he simply kept me um, calm. Okay. Like, everything is going to be okay. This will work out. Hmm. That was my overriding thought the entire time. Like, I would just serve every day. Just get through this day. Okay. And I had no, I didn't know what I was going to do when I got out. I didn't know where I was going to live. I didn't know if I had a job. I didn't know any of that, but none of it bothered me. I just, I wasn't worried. I didn't obsess over any of those things. I didn't think about those things very often. It was just, let's make it through today. Okay. And that's what he did for me. And you know, Des, I still think about that today, not back then, but today. 
Mm-hmm. Like I just need to get through today. Wow. Uh, even though I have means uh, of, of, I have a job, I have a, I have a vehicle. I don't think very much about the future too often. I, I do have a family that I think about, but I, I really, the lesson I learned there was let's get, let's get through now. Let's get mm-hmm. through today because mm-hmm. we're not promised tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, I want to read my devotion again this morning. <laughs> <laughs> um, Matthew 6. Mm. You're well acquainted with this. Mm-hmm. Um, he talks about the cure for anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus is talking. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. So in Matthew 6, 25, where he says, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, mm-hmm. what will you eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow... Won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? Don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Mm-hmm. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness mm-hmm. and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Mm-hmm. Each day has enough trouble. Of his own. So when you said that, it made me think about that. Amen. And that is the truth. That is the <laughs> Even you, truth. we call that the pro, the the principle of first or the first principles. Seek first the kingdom of God. Yes. Either that or Proverbs: Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your understanding. All your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. So it's like these, Amen. both of these foundational things to 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 prevent us from sinful worrying, mm-hmm. which I would think in jail you saw. I mean, guys are angry there. They're mad. Some of them. Yes. Is that a big thing? Yeah. Now, luckily, uh, again, I wasn't in with the, uh, with like the hardcore. Mm-hmm. Although there there was a there was an incident uh, a couple cells down from me. You know, two two guys, two roommates, two cellmates. One night, they just had enough of each other. You know, didn't get along. When I was in the uh, workforce, uh, one of my there was five of us in a room mm-hmm. there, but one of one of my uh, cellmates. Was was going to get into it with somebody else, and I can't remember what it was over something really silly. <laughs> but uh, they, since you weren't allowed to fight out in the open, they were actually going to go into a room and just have it out. And we we talked them out of it. But yeah, there's there's a, there's you know there's a lot of that, and there, there's there's the hierarchy. Okay, uh, that that was very clear. All the places I stayed, uh, the, the hierarchy was very clear. So, uh, for example, I didn't drink milk. Okay. <laughs> so generally, the first time I arrived in a new place, I would uh, the first breakfast I would announce, you know, who wants my milk, and that's kind of where I could identify the leader okay. because he was always deferred to. And was he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, if he's a leader of of that group of, of that that cell block, then it's first dibs. Do you want the milk? Then there was second, third, fourth, on down the line. But that's that's kind of how you identify who the leader is. So I, you know, at, so after we figured that out, every morning, I would get my milk and I would deliver it to 
him and I'd go on about my way. Your delivery. And, and that's that's the way you stay out of trouble for the most part. You know, okay. You, you, you know, the newspaper goes to the leader first. And then okay. once he's done with it, then he would distribute it as he sees fit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So you have these three months in, in front of you. You're doing workforce. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're still seeing like the real world. Real world. You're getting out, seeing the trees and all that stuff. Yes. <laughs> Which probably helps a lot. Oh. <laughs> and seeing those brick walls in that same area. I heard that stuff is kind of causes hysteria with some guys. It can. The first 90 days when I was when I was in, it was all concrete. Uh, we were allowed outside one hour a week. What? One hour a week. We, we were assigned. Uh, now, if it was raining, that hour, you're out. And since I was, I went in in May. We, you know, I went through the summer. If it was too hot, they wouldn't let you out. So that one hour a week was all that was scheduled. But it wasn't like it was moved. So if 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 you couldn't go out for some reason, you missed that. You had to wait till next week. So when I saw the sun, <laughs> that that one hour, we would go, sometimes I would just go out. It was kind of in a courtyard shaped like a triangle, and I would just kind of like stand there, yeah. <laughs> and like the warmth of the sun, because you hadn't. I literally hadn't seen it in a week. Other than out, now I did have a window that I could look out in my cell. And, you know, it's so funny. These deer would come up every day, like 5, 5.30, every <laughs> single day. And I would make sure I was in my room to look out the window to see these deer show up. And they showed up every single day, like 5 o'clock. And I would just stare there. I'd stare. I'd just look at them. <laughs> but that's all you could see. But I, I, hadn't, I didn't go outside. That's the first time. I'm, so, yeah, when I got to workforce, and we had eight hours a day of being out, cutting grass, uh, doing things, whatever, for the county. Well, that that was like heaven. It's the small victories, bro. Yeah, absolutely. You realize when you are in a place where you're confined, your freedom is confined. Mm-hmm. I tell you, bro. I mean, the only way I can explain it is when I went to Swaziland. Now, I okay. wasn't in jail or anything like that, but it was a level of restrictions mm-hmm. on me that the United, the United States, as much as people say crap about the United States. I don't want to go anywhere else. Right. <laughs> right. When you talk about running water, mm-hmm. when you're talking about just the freedom you have to go in your car and you go up the street and you have this place to eat, that place to eat, this place to eat, that right. you have so many options and choices. Yeah. You get up and go. Your roads are smooth. And Swaziland, roads are bumpy. You got to plan trips weeks ahead. And wow. it's not a lot of places to eat. You eat the same thing over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um you can't just go certain places because we was in South Africa. So mm-hmm. they don't think of black men the best way. So you right. kind of like confined to who stay where you're supposed to stay. Mm-hmm. So that was the, yeah. the that was the most restriction I ever had. I didn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I did not yes. this is for the birds. Like, I don't, I don't get me. So when I got back to America, I, I kissed the ground. Right. I was I was very happy. But that's the only level of since I've been an adult mm-hmm. of restriction that I had. All right. So what is it like your last month? You go to a halfway house? Uh, similar. It, okay. We were still on the, the property, but it, there w- it was a house. I was not inside of a cell any longer. Okay. It was a house that had been uh, some, they had made some rooms. Now, there were five of us jammed into one room, but it, the door wasn't even locked. There was a door on it, but it wasn't okay. locked. Uh, so, yeah, we it, it was kind of, kind of like a halfway house. Okay. So it was nice. <laughs> it's like Shangri La. <laughs> you, you could see the jail like down the hill. Uh-huh. Like, I was down there. Uh-huh. So, yeah, it was getting a little closer to reality. Good. Are you, uh, at this time, it's a twofold question. Are you are you starting to talk to your wife again? That's the first question. And mm-hmm. the second question, 
are you doing any evangelism or is it still pretty personal between you and, you and the Lord? Mm. Uh, praise God for my wife. She, I actually talked to her through the entire thing. Okay. When I was arrested, I called her. And uh, once I went in, uh, she called several times a week. It was kind of expensive. But we were in regular, we wrote letters back and forth constantly. And then uh, I think I, I said she called. I would call her uh, once or twice a week. So we were in constant communication. Okay. Uh, which, again, looking back on it now, that's the Lord laying the foundation of us getting back together. Because I think I mentioned it once before, but we had been apart. Um, I left in 1992, so we had been apart uh, at this point for 18 years. Wow. I had left the house back in 1992. So, um, so yeah, I was born. Yeah. That's the year my youngest son was born. Oh, okay. When I left, he was he was not a year old. Wow. So I left her with three children and uh, uh, a two-year-old and a baby. And, and, and my, my older son. Man. So, yeah. Now, we had been in communication all throughout my life. You know, I, I came over to see the children every week. But um, while I was in jail, uh, she was, she, she, I can't say enough about her faith and, and her belief in marriage being till death. Because mm. that, that's her belief. Wow. No matter what I did to her, she was hanging on. It's amazing. Uh, and the second question was, um, was oh, were you starting to share your faith or was it still very personal? Very personal. Okay. I didn't know. I still didn't know anything. Okay. Like I had this piece <laughs> and I'm reading. I understood what I understood, but really I understood words because I understood English. Okay. <laughs> uh, so there was no sharing or anything like that. But it's funny. I think my personality and my, my reputation within the jail, even in the halfway house, I was protected by not only the guards, but also by the guys. Oh, like, man. nobody would mess with me. They called me the professor. <laughs> so I think even just reading, and I think that I think the Lord shone through, even without me speaking, which yeah. is amazing. Yeah. Um, but no, I was not at this point um, doing any kind of evangelism. I didn't know. I just felt like everything would be all right. Hmm. You know, your, your story makes me, going back to the Bible, it makes me think about two things, like um, Psalms, let's get to it, Psalms 139, mm. obviously, I'm not going to quote from that, but Psalms 139 talks about he knows when I sit down, when I get up, every hair that's on my head, Yes, he knows this, he knows that, if I go down to here, he's there, if I go up to there, he's there, that's your story, brother, like I think Absolutely. this is like, he, he has his access at best, he will walk on water to get to you. <laughs> Even when you yes. don't want him. Right. That is a divine love, bro. I don't know how else to say it. Mm -hmm. Sir, that is a love. That is amazing grace. Yes. That he's given yes. you. I don't know much about him, but I have this peace right. that I'm looking around. These guys don't have. Right. They don't have any hope. They just yeah. like. When I get out, I'm probably going to do it again. You know, you know what I mean? That's that's a lot of convicts and I criminals. That conversation. Like, like, what you doing when you get out? I'll be back. I'm going to get back to this money. <laughs> you know, I'm going to get back to it. I'm going to go see that dude that got me in here. I'm going to deal with him. Yep. Because they're so angry and yep. pent up. But God and his providence and his sovereignty in your life, he's giving you this peace mm -hmm. that the world doesn't. Or this peace that surpasses all understanding, all right? Yep. So um, it's still very personal. Okay. Yes. You're getting out of jail now. You see the end of the you see the light at the end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. Correct? Yes. How are you feeling? Uh relieved, 
now the a little bit of the uh, worry sets in because where am I going to live? What am I going to do? Uh, I I was given probation. I was on, I was put on probation for for um, three years. So the the <clears throat> the machinations of trying to live outside of this, you know, jail in, in, in a way, jail is a safe, protected place. Like nobody can get to you. Bill collectors can't get to you. Like, you know, it, it's not a place that I would suggest or uh, that I enjoyed. But at the same time, I'm completely protected. <laughs> like nobody can get to me. So I had all day, every day to read the Bible. That, that was my only challenge. Look, what are you going to read today? That, that's all I had to decide. Yeah. But, but getting out, all of a sudden, I, you know, I had bills that had built up over the five months. Uh, I was living in a townhouse. And, you know, obviously the mortgage hadn't been paid. Um, but here's God's providence again. If, I don't know if, if people remember back in 2008 when we had the big crash. Well, by the time 2010 rolled around, all these houses were uh, being taken over by everybody was going bankrupt. Yeah. So there was this huge backlog of people not paying their mortgages. My bank wasn't bothering with me. They were going after other people. Wow. So I'm living in this house for free. Because I still can't pay them. I can't get a job. <laughs> yeah. or, or the job I ended up getting was at a bowling alley. That's okay. not paying the mortgage. <laughs> so I'm living in this house and just waiting every day for the letter. You know, and I didn't know. I, I'm looking back on it now. But every day I'm waiting for the letter. But every day goes by. Again, we're going, we're going daily. I, the letter didn't come today. Okay, I got another day in the house. Uh, so I, I, was, I was relieved. But um, some of the, the worries started to sit in, set in now because... I really wanted to move back to Maryland. Couldn't do it because I was on probation for three years. Where were years. you? I was in Virginia. Oh, okay. Right. So I'm on probation for three years. So I can't go. I, I, and part of probation is, is being required to live there. So my my goal right now is to try to get a job. That's what I need to okay. do, is try to get a job. So, okay. So I'm working on that. <laughs> All right. Wait, so, wait, this house thing. Your yeah. electricity still coming on, everything. Yeah, now, okay, now for that piece <laughs> of it, for the those bills, uh, I would... Man, my dad, I would call my dad once a month and ask him for $1,500. And that would pay, that would take care of my food and bills for that month. But instead of him just saying, hey, I'm going to send you $1,500 every month, I was required to call him and ask him for $1,500. Why? And I would have to explain to him every month. Talking about keeping me humble. Wow. There was no, hey, dad, you know, from now until whenever, I just need some money. He's like, fine. No. No, you will call and ask every month for this money. And you will explain to me why you need this money every month. And God bless him for that. Praise his Praise name. Praise the Lord for that kind of teaching. Talking about humble. Because <laughs> I had grown up, you know, my parents were you know, fairly well off. So I, I didn't grow up with a need for anything. Mm. Um, I didn't take advantage of that, but at the same time, I never asked for anything. Okay. So this was a big deal for me. I didn't hate doing it, but this was a big deal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're a man, and I think a big deal because early in your testimony, money was never an issue. When never you, an issue. So to have to humble yourself, and act, I mean, $1,500, that probably was nothing for you. No. That's probably like a dollar for you when you was making that money. Oh, that yeah, that was... <laughs> That that was like a week's worth of work. That's 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 a quarter of a paycheck. Wow. That's not even a quarter. It's actually less than a quarter of a paycheck. Yeah, so that that's 
I'd spend that money in a week. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just on dinner and drinks. Wow. I wouldn't think about that. Yeah. Um, but that's how, so that's how, so the how I wasn't paying for the house, but that's how I got by with electricity and, uh, yeah, I had cable and internet okay. to, to search for, uh, jobs and all. All right. So fast forward. So we know you worked at a bowling alley. Mm-hmm. So fast forward past your, pro- what happens after probation? Uh, well, actually, I, I'm going to, probation, actually in the middle of that, I will, I will mention a couple things because, um, as I mentioned earlier, my wife and I had been in, in constant communication mm-hmm. And I had been given permission from my probation officer to come over to Maryland once a week to see the family, as, okay. as I had been doing the whole time. So, um, oh, the house, that's what happened. The house, I finally got the letter in 2012. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, this had gone on for, uh, I got out in October of 2010. Mm-hmm. Uh, in August of 2012, so almost two years, I had been living there almost two years for free. Wow. I finally got the letter. We, you know, you're, you're out yep. in, in December. <laughs> So I went to the judge and I asked if I could move probation to Maryland because uh, my wife agreed to allow me to move back home. What? Yes. So now, again, we've been in communication all this, this, this time. She takes you back. She, she takes me back. So in December 2012. After leaving her for 18 years. Well, now it's 20 because it's 2012. So we're at 20 years. 20 years. I you, have not you been home. I have not been living at home for 20 years. Uh, December of 2012, I moved back home. <laughs> and I can tell, I finished out my probation there in Maryland, here. That, it, it's amazing. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, at some point, Mr. Mike, in your testimony, and I think you said it without saying it, you said you was taking it one day at a time. Mm-hmm. It was all about one day. Another way to point that is um, my uncle taught me these four things about what it means to be a man. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that's on that list is a real man accepts responsibility. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The other three we'll get into another time. But what happens is you accept it. This is on me. Yep. I, I must tell you, brother, most men don't get there. I think you know that. You've been on the earth way long. I'm mean, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, folks. <laughs> You've, been You've been on the earth longer than I have. <laughs> longer than I have. Yes. Um, and I think you see it more. I'm seeing it. I'm about to be 30 yeah. in October. But a lot of men don't accept responsibility for the action. And it seems like true. when <laughs> I love this verse, God resists the proud. Mm but gives grace or favor to the humble. Yes. God, if you're his, if, if, you, are, if you are his, mm-hmm. will humble you. Yeah, absolutely. That is the first step into the kingdom. Jesus Christ says, if you want to be coming, coming to the kingdom, you must become like one of these. And he's pointing at a kid. Mm-hmm. Utterly dependent, hopeless, can't fend for yourself. Right. Humble. Yep. What does Philippians say? Christ came in the humbleness of, this, of a slave mm-hmm. in human form. Mm-hmm. We don't understand how much humility, hu- humility, and um, um, set aside our pride activates God's favor in our lives. Yes. And when you say I had to take it one day at a time, you hadn't done that in the thousands of days. Mm-mm. You was thinking days ahead. Yes. What am I doing next week? Right. Thinking about the seven million dollar deal. I'm thinking right. about well, the next project. You're not thinking about the day by day. Right. 
You know, no. we sing a song, Lord, keep me day by day. Mm-hmm. You know, we sing that song and it's making me think about that. Yes. Yeah, church. And it's just like, bro, we can never think, we, we can never grasp God's wisdom. Mm-hmm. And we could never, you could never made your story like that, Mike. No. You no. never thought when you was 13, you would be like that. Never thought you would be addicted to alcohol. No. Never thought you would leave your wife. You never thought you would be a man that run that no. runs. Mm-mm. But never. the Lord watches over his children's steps. And he delivers them from every trial, even the ones we put ourselves into. Because yes. what I must say, most of the trials that people face, mm-hmm. they were 100% the reason why. Absolutely. Now, some people have Job experience, but most of us don't. Right. We put ourselves in that situation. Yes. One of the Proverbs says, a man runs amok of his life and then he blames God for it. He's angry <laughs> right. at God, right? That's the message Bible. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but that's that's what we do. So you accept the responsibility and God intervenes in ways that you would have never imagined. God's restoring the marriage. Yep. God kept you in the house. Mm-hmm. All your worries that was taking place, you said the worry set in. Yeah. That peace was still there and it Matthew was. 6 shows up. Don't worry about it. Right. Like, I own all the cattle on a thousand hills. <laughs> That's right. You know what I mean? I can't provide a house for you, really? You right. Ye a little faith, right? What we right. just read. Yes. And he did it. He did it. Um, And you didn't deserve it. No. <laughs> I deserve nothing. Yeah. I deserve eternal separation from God is what I deserve. Yeah. And it's the just requirement. Yes. Greatest of faithfulness, Lord, unto oh, me. Man. And why wouldn't we spend every waking moment of our lives... Knowing and serving him. Good question. Why indeed? So that's a sobering thing. All right, you're back with your wife. Yep. Now let's catch up to the, your last couple of years on earth. I mean, where you've been okay. recently. You come back to with your, with your wife. Mm-hmm. Is that when you got back to church? Yep. All right, go ahead. Because I had not attended church uh, in Virginia. Um, but, yeah, so we, we, we actually went to my old church once, and then we came here at First Baptist Church of Upper Marlboro because her parents were attending here. Okay. And uh, when we came in the door, as you well know, the, the Spirit is so active here yeah. that we immediately felt at home. Yeah. So we've been coming here ever since. And uh, I then, uh, since I, when I moved here, I, I tried to get a job. <clears throat> I still was a felon. I couldn't drive. And uh, my, my license had been not suspended, but revoked. Oh. So as far as I knew, I would never drive again. Okay. It was revoked, as far as I knew. <laughs> uh, 2013, I was able to get a job uh, as an usher okay. uh, for the Washington Nationals. And then uh, I'll tell you a quick story about yep. working. At the end of that season, that went very well. I met a lot of people, and they said, you know what? You should work for uh, the, the hockey team and the basketball team mm-hmm. because, you know, there's people that usher for their lives. It's like, oh, this is pretty good. So I applied there, didn't get that job, but and they told me if you didn't, if they didn't call you back by this Friday, uh, you didn't get the job. Friday, that Friday comes, I didn't get the job, and we were run out of money at this point. Okay. That Sunday, two days later, I come in, come into church, I'm walking down the hall, and the facility manager here, Tori Galliano, comes up to me and he says, "Hey, would you want a job?" Now, now, this is one day, I, I'm very rarely down. I was really down this day because two days before, my last opportunity that I knew of of getting a job was gone. Mm. And 
it, this wasn't quite close to springtime. In the springtime, I had the Nats job coming back, yeah. but we weren't going to make it money-wise to the spring. And he comes up to me that Sunday and asks me if I wanted to work as a custodian here. <laughs> and, and people say that God does not provide. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I, 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 you, you could have knocked me over with a feather. <laughs> and it, that story continues. So I started to work as a custodian. And unbeknownst to me, he, he, he trains me that entire time that I'm working under him. Uh, now, he, he passed away two years ago. Mm -hmm. And he had trained me to take over his job. And I am now a facility manager of this church because he had the forethought to be obedient to God's plan. God's plan was to have me doing what I'm doing right now. I didn't see any of it coming, any of it. And oh, by the way, in 2015, I was able to get my license back. So <laughs> I now drive. I mean, it's great is uh, that faith. And I'm thinking about you now, and I'm like, you went from making, you know, it's not a lot of people who humble themselves to do what you're doing, brother. That's encouraging to see, like. And none of it is me. Yeah, man. It's all the Lord. Praise the Lord. I man. am simply trying to be obedient and allow him to lead me because everything that's good that's happened to me has been when that has happened or I was just oblivious and I was just letting, I was just being and he was leading me without me knowing. Yeah. Because sometimes the danger is in knowledge. Like you said earlier, if we can be like children and completely dependent, we'll be fine. Yeah. It's when we get in the way and start to think, Oh, I'm good, God. Yep. Thanks for bringing me here. Yep. I appreciate you. I got it from here. Yeah. That's trouble. Yeah. Knowledge puffs up, bro. Yeah, it sure does. You went from making a mopping of your life to mopping for Christ. <laughs> and I love it. And you love it. That's I the, love it. What, what anything, that's why I was trying to encourage people. Like, this guy is so content and happy yes. in what he does. He is not complaining, grumbling. No. Um, because when you have new life and you're walking with God in fellowship with him, mm -hmm. everything's okay. Everything's okay. Everything's okay. All your ambitions, all your dreams, all the things that you want to do. Because men, as men, we're dreamers. We're right. visionaries. We want to do great things. Yes. That's what Pastor Zach reminded us. That's not a bad thing. Correct. But greatness may not look like what you think it looks right. like. It may not. He's, Christ says the greatest among you must serve. I didn't yes. come to be served, but to serve. to serve. So greatness is wrapped in the capacity to serve and influence others for the kingdom of God. Amen. That's living intentionally for eternity. Amen. No one may never know your name, but you're serving his name. Right. And people know his name through right. you. So it's just a blessing, brother, like to hear this testimony. Um, it's much more we can talk about, but I think we good. We may do yeah. a part two to this. Okay, that's fine. Uh, but this testimony has been amazing. Um, I want to read two passages real quick um, that really sums up what you said. Psalms 103 is one of my favorite mm. psalms. Okay. It's a great song. I think as I read it, you'll understand. Um, I'm not going to read all of it. Okay. But it says, my soul bless the Lord and all that is within me bless his holy name. My soul bless the Lord and do not forget all of his benefits. He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with good things. Your youth is renewed like the eagle. 
The Lord executes acts of righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He revealed his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. He will not always accuse us or be angry forever. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserves or repaid us according to our iniquities. Here we go. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows what we are made of, remembering that we are only dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He blooms like a flower on the field. When the wind passes over it, it vanishes and it place and its place is no longer. But from eternity to eternity, the Lord's faithful love is toward those who fear him and his righteousness toward the grandchildren of those who keep his covenant. Amen. As Psalms one oh three, one through eighteen. That yeah. summarizes your testimony, it my sure brother. Does. It summarizes your testimony, my brother, and I am so grateful that we had this opportunity because this reminds me and it shows me that if God loves you like that, brother, Mm -hmm. he loves me like that. He has no respect of person. He shows no partiality, my brother. Amen. So I am deeply encouraged by by this opportunity. I knew it was going to be great, but I didn't think it was going to be this great. (laughs) Um, Last question for you. I asked all my guests this. You didn't know I was going to ask you this, but- What does living intentionally for eternity mean to you? In, in a word service, uh, that, is, that is the overriding focus of my life and my days is, is service. And whenever I'm tired or if I start to feel grumpy or I start to feel uh, anything that's negative, I remember service. I was mm. just thinking, actually, not too long ago, I was really, I was super tired one day physically, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I was just spent. And I started to think about that, and I thought, uh, yeah, you know, my mother just passed away yeah. uh, about a month or so ago, a couple months ago, and I remember thinking when she died. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure she was really tired, and I was really that kind of spurs me on, mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, I want to be tired like that at the end of my life. But then I thought, wait a minute, <clears throat> I should be tired every day. I should be serving every day. Like the way I feel now, spent and tired. This is how I should be going to bed. Yeah. Because I have served today. That glorifies God. Yeah. If I can do that, if that's my focus, and that is my focus every day, I get such joy. Be bopping around the church, picking up things, vacuuming, cleaning, wiping, because I'm serving our family. Yeah. I'm 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 helping our family be comfortable in the house that was built to serve the Lord. Amen. Boy, is there, there's nothing better than that. Amen. So that's my overriding thought that drives me every day. It's just simply to serve. How can I serve? Whatever that looks like. That's what I want to do. Praise his holy name. Ladies and gentlemen, this was another great, great, I hope it was a great episode for you. I get head over heels doing things like this. We keep trying to push this content to you so that you can see no matter how life goes for you, no matter how down in the dumps, no matter what crazy things you've done with your life, if you are above the dirt, you are a candidate for God's love, his compassion, and his faithfulness. Take the lifelines that you see. Listen, 
humble yourself and turn to God. And here on life, you just heard another testimony of how turning what turning to the Lord does for someone in their life. He restores you, he redeems you, and he sets you back on the path of life. Praise his holy name. He is good. Yes, he is good. Thank you all. We appreciate you. Love y'all. Peace.